welcome back to Monster Stories Podcast, Living with Evil. I'm your host, Suzanne Cole, and in this briefer time with you today, I want to say a little bit about my evolving website and podcast a little bit more, and uh, talk about the content that you see when you open up the website when it finally is indexed on Google. First, let me say, this podcast is not for everyone. However, if you choose to venture in, I want to tell you a little bit about my intention, which you see stated on the website. It's a desire mostly to create a language with you, to describe experiences of being with a psychopath, a monster. In other words, a person who lives to be deceitful, who derives pleasure from another's pain. If you are in a relationship with this kind of person, you know who I'm speaking of. You feel the anguish of having been silenced by your captor. You understand that he will punish you if you disobey him. It all may be a very subtle contract, but nevertheless a dangerous and deadly one, as you know. And if you have attempted to speak with others about your situation, you already know how they will assume you are exaggerating. Or worse, they will back away from you. Others tend to see and be drawn in by the charm and charisma, by the congenial masks worn by the psychopath. These people, these others around you, these workers I've spoken of in previous episodes, they're smitten by him. And if they're not bewitched, they still want to believe in the notion that human beings are all innately good and working together in a team human, to quote the wonderful Douglas Rushkoff. And these people, these people all around you, regardless of idiosyncrasies, are all working towards humane behavior in some way or another. The people who you've spoken with and tried to convey your angst to your desperation of being held captive in a relationship with a monster, with a psychopath, they want to believe in the fundamental decency of others. Don't we all? I know I still do. I still want to believe in the fundamental decency of most people. I've learned that I can't do that with all people. The naive belief that we are all on the same team creates a barrier when you've tried to convey to others the wretched, absolutely 
intolerable sense of captivity with the monster. The abuse, however insidious or overt, that you're experiencing, people often are, dim- are dismissive of. Hence, you are terribly misunderstood, and your isolation becomes more insurmountable, or so it seems. It's agony, isn't it? You're trying to escape, trying to reach out for help, but there's no toehold. There's no hand reaching out to help you climb out of the lair woven around you by the monster. This even happens in shelters and with counselors who are supposed to be trained to know about the kind of mutism you're caught within, the abuse that demands your secrecy, your silence, for fear of punishments if you break that pact. I remember having recurring nightmares of being stranded underground at the bottom of a well without a ladder, over and over waking in a sweat of hopelessness. Have you had these or some other kind of night terror that you wake from, where it becomes difficult to tell which is more terrible the dream or the waking reality. This podcast, as I say, is not for everyone. However, if you choose to enter and engage, please know that my narratives and conversations with you are a quest to form a common language with which to articulate and hence reify our experiences with the monster. Language is the most potent way to move out of the labyrinth of confusion the monster traps you within. Language is a clarifier and a vehicle for empowerment. It is a far greater force than the minotaur who lives within the the labyrinth, who lives within the maze where his prey is entrapped. Aside from this podcast, there have been additional modes of expression which help me endure the captivity, the punishments, and the isolation when I was with the monster. It included my writing, my work, my deep devotion to poetry, the improvisational vocalizing I did with many wonderful artists, including David Darling. I danced as well before I became too damaged to move by the monster, too damaged to move by Dr. Mario, who is the main antagonist in these episodes that I bespeak. 
We'll talk much further about the punishments and the survival tactics that you have, that you've known, that you've created to endure and survive, even if yet unspoken. These are so important. These inchoate words and stories you've kept inside. On the evolving website, www.monsterstoriespodcast.com, you see a piece in a window on the right-hand side entitled Monster, which was written by Dr. Mario. More often than not, psychopathic, narcissistic, sociopathic people are flashers, as I call them. They describe themselves as monsters, and they actually speak of the atrocities they perform. We, who are captive to the monster, often cannot identify these people, these captors, as anything but monsters, or liars, or cheats, or phonies, or ragers. You know the rage, don't you? And thieves. You know how they steal. In fact, to deem one's mate psychopathic is unimaginable. It's unbearable for us, even though we may know it. And of course, to speak this diagnosis, this term, to the monster himself would result in punishment, would result in damage to us, more damage. And what about the shame? We feel such shame for having been drawn into a relationship with an imposter. We carry the burden of shame when we are abused, and especially by this kind of devious creature. You know about shame, don't you? But what about you others? You who have been psychologically co-opted by the monster's charm, by his charisma. How have you felt when you realized you've been duped? Or do you ever let yourself realize that you've been deceived by one you've learned to trust and enjoy as a friend? as a confidant. And do you realize how ashamed his prey is, his prime target feels? Do you realize that? Do you realize how she suffers? How she's being tortured and silenced by this man you call friend? Of course you don't. At least not consciously. Have you tended to laugh and enjoy the monster's supposed talents, his cooking, his fine intellect, supposedly? 
And perhaps have you suspected his mate, his hostage, of the emotional instability he alludes to? You have, haven't you? And in spite of your intelligence and education, has it ever occurred to you that the monster is a fraud and that he is torturing his partner, his prey, his hostage? This phenomenon is not rare. That is, a monster holding his prey captive, yet presenting himself and his mate in social affairs as a wonderful and perfect couple. You've seen this depicted in novels, in films, in nonfiction, in the news. You know that it happens. But certainly, it couldn't be so close to home, could it? It couldn't be one who you call friend. Or could it? And anyway, you don't have the time to really consider this, do you? It's too disturbing, isn't it? I recall a man who worked with Dr. Mario on the East Coast was one of the few people I had ever seen Dr. Mario initiate a friendship with. This was a bright man. He was infatuated by Dr. Mario, as everyone is in the beginning. And I realized in his silences that he became aware of Dr. Mario's psychopathology. He withdrew as quickly as he was drawn in. He completely vanished from Dr. Mario's life. He was someone I had called out to for help. But he didn't have the time. It probably took a lot of effort for him to withdraw. When he realized, he'd become prey to the monster. I've always wanted to reconnect with him and speak with him about that experience. Brad was his name. In the monster piece on the website, written by Dr. Mario, many themes are presented that I've raised briefly in prior episodes and will again be speaking of more extensively. But I ask you to note the confession of violence in this piece. I ask you to note the ersatz expression of remorse. Note the drama of apologia in the monster piece. Note the empty promises. Don't you feel just a little bit sorry? for the way the monster suffers when you read his words. Similarly, don't you feel just a little bit of empathy for those men on death row, interviewed in podcasts, which seem titillated by those men 
who seemed to realize how wrong it was to kill, to kill repeatedly. Those monsters and their simulated words of suffering, how amazing that they could evoke empathy. Don't those episodic interviews draw you in the way Dr. Mario has in this statement, monster? Poor man, right? What pressure he must have been under. What a struggle he endures with his ego and his supposed bifurcated personality, his dissociation, and perhaps he's rehabilitated through this introspection. Maybe? Is that what you wonder? And, oh yes, P.S., what about that person, Zan, he speaks of? He speaks to the one who was felled somehow all of those times on wood and tile, on cement and gravel, how she was felled after her operation on a bench that he broke with her back. How is she now? Or was this letter a turning point in their relationship? Was it even a letter? And, oh, is she still alive? Where is she, this Zan? As you ask yourself these questions, or if you have confessions of your own given you by your captor, you certainly know the empty words that I'm speaking of. They are but a moment preceding further disabling punishments. And there are many of you who have memorized this story of serial apology only to feel and experience further brutality. You know what I'm saying. You feel it. But oh, how convincing these words of remorse. I owe you everything. And indeed he does. But what do you actually receive? I wonder whatever happened to that Zan Dr. Mario writes of. Her body, her tender, fragile body that was thrown about like silly putty by him. Where is she now? And how's she doing? That Zan, that Suzanne, who used to sing and laugh and teach and jam with musicians, who used to move easily, no, this podcast is not for everybody. It raises themes, exposes deceit, and exposes, in fact, that there are a welter of people among us in dire circumstances 
caused by monsters in masks who may have beguiled us. This possibility threatens the way we want to conceive of society, of the meaning of life, of humanity. However, psychopaths are plentiful. You've encountered them. You've encountered their prey. You've suspected her of imagining the atrocities she's fervently tried to convey to you, haven't you? And you, who have tried in vain to express your entrapment to others, you know the harsh slap of dismissal. Dismissal by people on the team human, where we're all supposed to be working together, but perhaps aren't all working together. In future episodes, we'll speak more about the great imposter, the monster. We'll speak more about the monster's artificial emotions, how a well-practiced psychopath learns the words, the sounds, the facial gestures, the atonement of sincerity. We'll discuss the range of synthetic emotions. We'll talk about the imitation game. We'll exchange stories of simulated apology and counterfeit love that we fell for. Oh, please, I promise I'll never do this again. What's wrong with me? I'm so sorry. Please take me back. You must believe I'll never do this again. You mean everything to me. I so love you, my dear. And then the little gifts, the little notes, the little candles burning with presents. Please. And you want to believe that just this one time, maybe he'll be different. Just again, this one time, maybe he's learned, even though there is a part of you that always is aware of his vapid nature, that always knows the impossibility of change. The monster has been like this since he was a young child. I personally had confirmation from his mother. She used to call and ask, are you okay? Here are some stories of his violence when he was just a boy and we sent him away to a boarding school. This is how he almost destroyed his family. And still, you want to believe that there's the possibility that he could be humane. You know that one, don't you? You know that capacity for forgiveness over and over. 
But we who are here and alive and stronger all the time will persevere, will regain our autonomy through honestly speaking our experiences and honoring them as important. I want to close now by reading a poem by a great mentor of mine. It's entitled, Prospective Immigrants, Please Note. And I am dedicating this to you who are listening and who are learning the language of leaving and reviving your living. Either you will go through this door or you will not go through. If you go through, there is always the risk of remembering your name. Things look at you doubly and you must look back and let them happen. If you do not go through, it is possible to live worthily, to maintain your attitudes, to hold your position, to die bravely. But much will blind you. Much will evade you. At what cost, who knows? The door itself makes no promises. It is only a door. Prospective immigrants, please note, by the wonderful Adrian Rich. This has been Monster Stories Podcast, Living with Evil, and I'm your host, Suzanne Cole. Thank you for listening. I'll be thinking about you with great care until we meet again. I'll be listening for your story to emerge. And the beautiful music you hear on this podcast is by friend and great musician, David Darling. His song, Untold Stories, which you can play in full on the website. Thank you, David. And until we meet again...